Welcome back to another impactful night of the Impact Education Leadership. This is episode 143. I'm your host, ID3 for Isaiah Drone Thursday. Nice times are our buddy Jordan, Sandy Roberts, and the lovely Ms. Gina Taylor. Please turn please hello to the people. Good evening, hello. everybody, and good evening to my my esteemed panel mates. And I Sandy Roberts, you. please say hello to the people. What was- wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the lovely Miss Nina Taylor, please say hello to the people. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello to everyone on the panel. We're good to Wonderful. go. Wonderful. We are good to go. Uh, tonight's topic is going to be one of grief. Yeah, it's going to be kind of a sad story. Um, what was going on with school shootings. So tonight's topic is simply hanging out with bullies. Are you friends with a bully? Or are you a bully yourself? More attention has been paid to bullying in the past few decades than ever before. According to the National Bully Prevention Center, bullying is an international behavior that hurts, that harms, and humiliates people, humiliates students, either physically or emotionally, and can happen while at school, in the community, even online. Yes, cyberbullying. Interesting enough, even if someone does not witness the bullying itself, there are signs that a person is being bullied, such as the person appearing depressed, the person avoiding school or other places, social places, public places where the behaviors are occurring, becoming aggressive themselves, withdrawing and isolating, avoiding social events, having difficulty expressing feelings, neglecting their appearance, or becoming preoccupied with their appearance. With students ages 12 to 18, the percentage of students of two or more races, 37% who reported being bullied, was higher than the corresponding percentages for white students, 25%, and black students, 22%, which were in turn more elevated than the percentage of Asian students, 13%, who reported being bullied. In addition, higher rates of students of two or more races and white students than Hispanic students, 18%, reported being bullied at school during the school year. Tonight, We're going to have not only a thought-provoking discussion, but tonight we're going to talk about no matter how beautiful uh, it is when a, a young person, you know, meets their maker, meets God, but how that pain really never passes, though they may say it does after time, but it really never goes away. First, I want to bring back Sandy Roberts. Uh, you are, uh, this is your turf. Uh, you yeah. have been, you have been doing, you have been interacting with these types of conversations for over 30 years. Please tell us what you got going on, currently. I know it's a lot. Um, I am, let's see, oh, I wrote a children's book, it's called Blake's Big Day, and it's about my differently abled brother and a cat that woke him up in the middle of a seizure in the middle of the night, and the cat won National Cat of the Year for doing that. Um, I am working on a, helping people pick out dogs. I and it's kind of funny, you know, when you asked me to be on this panel, and that I've been in in the high crisis field for so many years. I've, I've been in suicide prevention, especially with teenagers, for 30 years, and I just needed something a little more lighthearted, and that to to work with. And so I've I've been helping people pick out the right dog for them, or if they already have a dog, have the relationship be better. Now, it's kind of like marriage counseling for people and dogs. And, uh, but, you know, when you talk about the bullying, 
what really comes up for me is I, I want to tell a story, and it's a it's a, a true story, and that I I've known all the people who were involved, and I heard about it first when the mom was doing a presentation at a school that I happened to catch and then after that I had her come and speak to my classes like every semester and it was a, a mom and a dad and three daughters and the oldest daughter um, tragically tragically they lost her to cancer the middle daughter had a, a bullying boyfriend. He was controlling. He was demanding. It's kind of like controlling in capital letters with everything attached to it that you could possibly imagine. He was so controlling. He wanted to know where she was every minute. Uh, if she didn't answer the phone by a certain ring, he was accusing her of being disloyal to him. It, it was a case of significant, significant control. And he was upset with her one day and came over to the house and was demanding that she do something with him, that she leave and go with him. And she and her youngest sister, keeping in mind the oldest sister had passed away, uh, were the only ones home. And he was so demanding. He was, he was physical. He was emotional. He would call her a liar. He would just, whatever she would say, wouldn't be solving what he wanted and that which was control. And he wanted her to go someplace with him and she didn't want to. And she told him no. And he said, I'll, I'll be back in a minute. And he, he left for a minute. I think he just went to his car and that and came back with a shotgun. And she was standing in the doorway. Her sister was standing next to her. And he said to her, you know, you need to come over here now and tell me, you know, why I'm, you know, the best thing that's ever happened in your life. And she said, I can't do that. I can't do that. And he shot her. He shot her with his shotgun. The sister ran upstairs and was able to hide. He took off. The parents came home and were out of their mind devastated, keeping in mind their first daughter died of cancer. Their second daughter died of having a significant bully as a boyfriend to the point where she could not get out of the relationship until he ended her ability to be in a relationship. A pretty short time later, within a few months, the younger daughter just couldn't, just couldn't handle it, just couldn't handle it, and she committed suicide. Here is a family, a wonderful, loving family, mom, dad, three girls, three teenage girls, and one goes to cancer, one goes to a bully, and one goes to suicide. I don't know how in the world these people pulled it together and what they did and, and blessed them for even being able to is they put together a little, just a little scene set up and told their story and told and gave out information on how to help prevent bullying, how to recognize suicide, how to deal with losing a child to an illness. And as far as I know, they're still doing it. Uh, I would have them come and speak to my class at the college every semester. I was grateful that they would show up. There was never a dry eye in the classroom after they spoke. And so when you asked me about coming and talking about bullying, I thought it was for me right to share the tragedy that this family had gone through and how serious bullying is and how it can wreck so many lives in such a short time. To you, Isaiah. <laughs>
my goodness, you, you know, you, you talked about what bullying, what bullying looks like. You, you let us know. How do you know if you're being bullied? And, you know, what do you do if you're being bullied? And as you were, as you were telling me your story, it, it reminded me of a, a quote by Shakespeare from his Love's Labor Lost. He said, he said, this <clears throat> affliction may one day smile again. <clears throat> Until then, sit thee down, sorrow. Sorrow, sit down, sit down, sit down, because now you've had your turn. <laughs> now it's time to get to joy. I, I want to bring next to the panel the lovely Miss Nina Taylor. Um, thank you for being back on the podcast. And I just want to ask first before I go into the questions, what came to your mind when I gave you this topic? What came to your mind when I gave you this topic? Well, of course, you know, I thought about, you know, the recent school shootings and how they said that the latest killer in Texas was bullied and you know um, that was the reason why he snapped but it's it's a lot more to it than just oh somebody's bullying me um, and I know bullying is real I know it can go on for years and for some kids they've suffered most of their childhood with being bullied for one reason or another but that was the first thing that came to me that you know, I, th I thought about teenage bullying and how it's just so dangerous, you know, especially when it goes on, you know, for a long period of time. That's the first thing that pops into my mind. It was about him. Mm, thank you for that. Thank you for that. I want, let me ask that question around the panel. I think Buddy Thornton, he's next. What came to your thoughts when you got this topic? Obviously, the uh, school shootings are the first thing that popped into anybody's mind, I would say. But in my case, it took me back to a little bit of a struggle about the manifestation of how bullying manifests itself into other things. And I put together uh, just a very short presentation that I'll, I'll do when it's my turn to speak on my question. But the bottom line is... These kids don't live in a vacuum, and for a kid to go to that extreme, people have to be able to say unequivocally that there were signs. Nobody, and I, I don't care who you are, and I talked to two psychologists today within the last 24 hours, nobody gets to this extreme of a response and a choice without it being a volcano effect where it's built up pressure over time, and that's where I went as soon as I heard this talk. Yeah, I totally agree, because when you get to the point where you as a child can't find a coping mechanism, can't find a way to hunt for the good stuff, then your, your brain stops, it stops being creative, and it shuts down, and all you see is black or, or red, and, and now you're someone else. You transform into someone else. I want to go back to the loving Miss Nina Taylor real quick. But buddy, thank you so much for that. Um, Nina, adult bullies act out for the same reasons that kid bullies do, okay? They're trying to make up for some shortcoming of their own, right? What has been your experience in you can talk childhood experience or even adulthood as it relates to the way you have handled or managed bullies. I know now that my first husband was a narcissist. I mean, every day I was being bullied in my own house. You know, it was a... I don't know where it started. I don't know why it started, but I do know now um, that 
I was being bullied constantly about everything, about my looks, about what I was eating, about the house, about this, going out, coming in, um, going to the radio station. I was being bullied every day for at least, I'd say it started shortly after our wedding and went on for about eight years. And it just got to the point where the bullying, in, in my case, turned to abuse. And once it got to that point, I said, wait a minute, you know, the bullying is one thing, but putting your hands on me, that's, that's going into another zone. And that's usually how it does end up in adults. Um, a lot of bullying starts out as just verbal abuse and then slowly turns into physical abuse. Mine was mental abuse, emotional abuse, and then went into physical abuse. And that's when I finally said, that's it, you know. Um, this I don't know where it, it started with him. I know his family was kind of, kind of weird. They weren't like us at all. They went, they didn't grow up in church. Uh, they weren't really close. His mother and father were both present in the house, but they didn't grow up in church. They weren't really close. They didn't really love on each other like. He said he liked about our family was that we were so close, you know. We dated for years, you know, since I was a teenager. And he says, boy, I wish, you know, my family was close like this. And, you know, he used to always say things like that. But after we got married, you know, all that just went away. And I don't, to this day, I still don't know why, you know. I don't know what happened. But he just... I don't know what happened. I think it was self-esteem issues on his part. Um, he, at the time, probably thought that I was weak and that he could. And if, if a person like him is unhappy with so many areas of their life, the only, their only other resource is to take it out on other people. You know, which, like I said, it turns into, you know, emotional bullying, mental bullying, and then physical. And when it gets to that point, you know, the person's got to do one of two things. Remove themselves out of the situation, or the other person has got to get some help, which they won't see anything that they're doing is wrong. You know, they won't see that. So... You know, what happens in those relationships? Again, it normally turns to violence. And when you can see that, and if you're one of these people who can see that this is what's happening, you need to run for the hills. You need to get away from the situation as quickly as possible. And that's what I did. Oh, I thank you for that. You know, everyone on this panel has so much compassion. They have so much compassion. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes compassion can blind us. Love can as yeah. well. And so what the compassion that's on here tonight on the panel and with the love that's here on the panel tonight, you know, sometimes it can blind us to reality, right? And so we need that wisdom to help be that GPS to find where we are because before you can go in the right direction, I believe you need to know your place. You need to know where you are before you can get to a better place. And so, Sandy Roberts, I, I want to go back to you again because you have been navigating through this type of these types of situations, and I, I believe you you've come up with management skills. What do you tell your clients? What do you tell your people on, on how to navigate through, you know, being in love with someone that's abusive, being compassionate and empathizing with, with someone that's, I, I would say, you know, just unsafe, unhealthy, dangerous, you name it. What would you tell, what would you tell your clients? I would tell them what worked for me uh, Nina, you and I are like sisters and first husbands as bullies. Um, and it, it takes time because the, the bully makes you think that you're wrong. And if for, uh, there's always a period of time that you, you know, you kind of say, well, gee, maybe I am. And so you, you have to get clear on the fact that you're not wrong. When they're bullying you, they are bullying you. And you need to become aware of, you know, the meanings of what that is. If it doesn't feel good, it isn't right. 
That's the bottom line. If it doesn't feel good, it isn't right. And it doesn't make it your fault either. And so the only thing I think that, you know, was my fault was for staying so long. But I started reaching out to other groups and, you know, trying to, you know, envision my life differently. And that's what gave me the strength to get out of the relationship. And it's really challenging. It's really difficult. Uh, You know, all those who bully sometimes just do it with words you know it's not always a situation you know like the family i was talking about where it was physical and and ended up deadly um but we we have to value ourselves we have to find other people who care about themselves and we have to network and you know just be aware that if, if someone else is saying really negative things to us or trying to tell us how bad we are that i i would say that it's 99.99999% that they are just coming from a place where they're envious of what we have in our self-love of ourselves, and they want to throw doubt into it. They want they don't want to see us feeling happy in that because they they want the happy, but they don't want to go through what it takes to get to it, which is being a decent person. And so they become demanding. Most bullies have been bullied in some manner, and they're in in some way striking out against having been bullied but they're not they're not being astute about the part where what they need to do about it and that so they're they're reacting with negative action to get even for whatever they've experienced there's so many so many times, so many homes, so many situations that you know that I hear about from the students, and it makes them hostile or suicidal. That it's kind of like you know which path am I going to go down? So if if someone is acting out, something's going on. If we can help and intervene with someone who's bullying, they're in pain, they're in terrible pain, and they're trying to make themselves feel better. Uh, they're manner of doing it is dangerous for everyone for themselves and 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 for you know everyone else around them but if they can be saved if we can help them wonderful you know before they get too far um if we can help others recognize it faster wonderful that i i know that that's what you're hoping to do here with us talking about this don't be embarrassed don't be embarrassed if you feel, you know, like I was at first, you know, thinking that I was in a, you know, great relationship and that when when someone doesn't feel good about themselves, they need other people to not feel good about themselves. And so they'll, you know, emotionally beat up on them. And that it, it doesn't always mean that they're a horrible person. It just means they are significantly misguided. So does that help? Oh my God, it does. I want to ask you another question because, you know, I, I believe that bullying can be cyclical or generational or something that oh, is yeah. in a genetic trait. But let me ask you this. So is bullying just a male trait? Is, is the dangers of bully affected only through males? Like, in other words, when we hear about these shootings, most of the time we are talking about male bullying. I don't no, I don't I don't think it's just like male bullying. And that I I think it's female too and that and I, I may have jumped in when it was Nina's turn to talk and that so I'll pass that back over to her. No, no, I was going to say absolutely not. Uh, Working in the public school system now going on 15 years, girls can be horrible, horrible bullies. They're less likely to be the physical bullies, but they'll pick out, you know, I've seen, I don't allow girls to congregate more than two or three at a time because they can be extremely cruel to each other. Uh, They'll pick out one girl who they decide is the one we're going to pick on every day, and they will absolutely go after this child every single day. You know, 
And then one day, you know, something crazy happens and, uh, you know, they just get tired of it. But they're less, not going to be physical, but they could be extremely, extremely cruel about it. Just pick, pick, pick every single day the same person, you know, and they may see weakness in her or she doesn't have clothes like they have, just any little thing. And they just pick, 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 which if I see any hint of that, I don't allow it at all. At all, it's not allowed in our school. That <laughs> big girls can be very, very cool. You know, especially like I said, they see one who's quiet. You know, maybe a little withdrawn. She doesn't like to talk. She doesn't say anything in class. That's the one they target in on them, and they can be extremely cool, even worse than boys. I think when it comes to the verbal and the the mental and emotional abuse. Oh, I I agree, ten million percent. And that the girls just do it differently. Uh, they, they snub, they make comments. Uh, it's, it's just different. The, the boys are, have a higher potential to be physical about it. Um, and maybe some of their bullying starts with, you know, kind of being knocked around. Uh, the girls, even if it's that, they, they want someone else to feel that pain that they're feeling. And they'll do it in a very verbal way. Back to you. Oh, this is so, so, so important. I want to go to Buddy Thornton because last time we talked about bullying, we, we spent a lot of time on bystanders. We spent a lot of time on, 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 on bystanders, and we spent a lot of time on people that have been bullied. Actually, they have been bullied. But tonight, I want to ask the question. Buddy Thornton. The positive social change is a pro. How do we teach students, people, to stop playing the victim? Because you know this tactic is a is an oldie but goodie. You see it in court cases. We just had a big court case. I'm not going to mention it, but everyone saw it. It went on for weeks, and this particular person was playing the victim, but the evidence pointed in a different direction. My question for you, and I know you're loaded. <laughs> How do we stop playing the victim? Well, I'm gonna answer the question first and then I'm gonna give a little bit of an explanation because I wanna support what the ladies have said uh, before now. <clears throat> the best way to stop playing the victim is first to realize that you're a victim and to realize that that's not where you want to be. That's an ever-shrinking pool that turns into a rabbit hole that you can never climb out of. The best way to stop being a victim is A, comfort in numbers. And the smartest way to leverage comfort in numbers is to find someone who's outgoing, an extrovert, someone who's willing to stand up and challenge the norm and if bullying has become a quasi norm in your environment if you pull yourself into a relationship with an extrovert friend the first time the bullies come around the extrovert friend is going to challenge the bully bullies cannot stay in the light of day bullies get away with what they do as long as they can stay in the dark as long as they can hide what they're doing and the reason they're doing it but as soon as they're exposed the gigs up they have to either find a different way, a different path, or they have to shut down until they do find another way or another path. And it's always cyclical. The victim can never be the person who challenges the bully. That's a misconception that I see thousands of times in movies, books, you name it. No, the victim doesn't challenge the bully. The victim needs an interested or compellingly engaged third party to say, hey, this isn't right. You need to stop that. You need to stop that now. And they need to bring as much power and emphasis to the stop as they possibly can. Because the victim needs to know, A, that they have support, and the bully needs to know that they're going to be challenged in mass, not by just one or two people, but in mass. Because the only way to stop bullying is to make it a non-sequitur. It has to be something that absolutely is shut down at the get-go. And when you start looking at why people become bullies, 
it's not yes it can be multi-generational where one generation is role modeling bullying it can be in response to expectations that are not met and it could be self-expectations that you're you're really fooling yourself into thinking that something is what it is not and when things don't go the way you want it to then you self-contrive yourself into being a victim Crimes and triggers are so critical in this situation. When we see someone who is manifesting some of those behaviors you talked about, difficulty expressing feelings, neglecting their appearance, or maybe being over-aggressive with their appearance, we know that they're masking. Masking is prevalent. And teachers, I know as part of their education, are taught to understand masking. If a child is masking, that means they're hiding something, and it's usually something very simple. But when it manifests long enough, it becomes what we call complicated self-grief. They're not grieving over what happened to somebody else. They're grieving about what didn't happen to themselves. I didn't get what I want. I didn't get that person as a friend. I didn't get that girl as a girlfriend. I didn't get that boy as a boyfriend. So now, now it turns into complicated grief. In the DSM-5, they have a name for that. It's called Persistent Complex Bereavement Disorder. And what happens is it really manifests in two or three different types of people. But it turns an ordinary person who falls into that grief cycle and becomes a self-anointed victim. They become a self-anointed narcissist. They start thinking that the entire world is only about them. They build up all this excessive mentality about being a victim and they want everyone around them to know they're a victim. And if you're not gonna do anything to make me less of a victim, then when I do finally explode, I'm gonna make sure everyone around me becomes a victim too. And the kids who don't find a way and a path and don't find a support system, those are the ones that become our multi-super aggressors. They don't care who they hurt on their way out the door because they've already decided they're going to be out the door one way or the other. Uh, in my conversations with Sandy, it's I'd much rather you be angry with me, I'd much rather you hate me than for me to have to attend your funeral and see the grief on the people who love you. Because we have to recognize when this path is going on, I don't care. There's no way someone can say to me, no, nobody saw this coming. There were, there were obvious signs in the Uvalde shooting that the perpetrator had unlimited numbers of signs. And the people who were reading those signs obviously didn't understand them. And they weren't taught to understand them. Maybe we shouldn't expect them to understand them, especially if we're talking about teenagers. But there is a path forward, and after everybody responds to what I just said, maybe we'll talk about the path forward. But I think here's the thing. <clears throat> there's, a, there's two ways bullies look at the world. They avoid accepting that they're a bully, or they actively pursue being a bully. It becomes a perspective of focusing on either trying to climb out of the hole or dig the hole deeper. They either try to problem solve, or they don't care to problem solve. And forget reframing. They don't have to reframe being a victim because it's so embedded in their psyche that that's all they want to be and that's all they want everyone around them to be. This conversation tonight is so painful for me. Uh, whenever we talk about or use the word bereavement, it's universal. It's universal and it is integral. It's an integral part of our experience, our experience of love. Grief is a form of love. Buddy Thornton, what you said reminded me of a quote. I used to read quotes from Sir William Blake all the time when I was in the military. And one of the quotes that he wrote was, can I see another world and not be in sorrow too? Can I see another grief and not seek for time relief? What happened, not just in Uvalde, but in all of these school shootings, makes you ponder 
makes you ask questions. I want to ask a question. We've had some great discussion. We've had great explanation, great perspective. But let's get to the, the nitty gritty. Who wants to answer this first? Why are we still having school shootings? Why? Why is it happening? Who wants to take that? I'm going to jump in and just make a very short thing, and I'm going to let Sandy and Nina jump in because I think they have a perspective that I think everyone's going to love. But someone reminded me when we were talking about this yesterday that I had a quote from four or five years ago when I was faced with an extremely difficult situation. And that I had told them this back in the, right after 9-11 happened. When my wife uh, lost 11 of her workmates in the North Tower. Every tough conversation starts with what you tell yourself. There is no other place that a tough conversation can start. Unless you're willing to have the tough conversation with yourself, you have no business having it with anybody else. And because there are people in this country who will not have that tough conversation, this cycle is not going to be broken until they're willing to sit down and look across the table at grieving people and have that tough conversation. You know, okay. I felt bad when I heard that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, please go ahead. I felt I felt really sad when I listened to the grandfather of the Texas shooter when he said he had no idea of anything that was going on with this boy. He had no idea he had guns in the house. He had no idea about this. It's like. He's living here in your house. You don't know anything about him. You know, he suddenly shoots your wife and you're like, wow, you're shocked about it? You know, that, that's very hard to believe that they didn't think anything was wrong with this boy, that, you know, he, he went to this extreme and nobody saw nothing, nobody knew anything. That's, that's a little difficult to believe. It's a little difficult to believe. and. As I was thinking about, you know, my growing up and seeing a lot of bullying, you know, we had, you know, one side of the street, you had the project kids, the other side, you had the kids who lived in the houses that their parents probably owned, and there was a lot of, you know, oh, you're this, you're that, you're on welfare, blah, blah, blah. And I just decided, you know, I'm not going to be a victim of anyone. If anybody says anything to me, and this was very young on, I was very, very thin, you know, I was real smart and I was quiet. And if anybody said anything to me that just looked tiny bit disrespectful or they thought maybe they might uh, bully me or maybe they wanted to, I would attack them. I would just attack them like a wild animal or something. I would just, and you know, I got that reputation and it just kind of left me alone. Like, don't say nothing to her. You know, don't say anything to her. You know, my brother was the same way. You know, don't don't say anything to them. We moved up here. We thought we'd be fighting every day. You know, don't don't say anything to them. <laughs> but that was, you know, that that was how I dealt with. Like, I'm not I'm not going to be anybody's victim. Nobody's going to bully me. Anything. But it's just so hard to believe that these people that had this boy growing up in their house did not see or you know this was a complete and total surprise with them and i'm just wondering you know why don't they just admit it i mean it's i, I just don't believe it i don't believe anything he said he's, he's been on so many different talk shows and it's like now he's like this celebrity and he's well we didn't know this and we didn't know that and we had no idea he had guns in our house i don't believe it i don't believe a word of it i think there's mm, a lot thank of you for that. fear I think people are afraid afraid to say anything they're afraid to admit anything and that I you know what you just said was was really perfect and what we don't have enough of is trusted adults and that we have um, 
we, we have expectations about teachers. We have expectations about, you know, any type of, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> about leaders. Um, and it, it's, it, it's not easy. And that I, I'm, I'm certainly not pretending, you know, that it's easy. But I've run into situations where the parents are the hardest ones to get on board. Um, uh-huh. You know, they, they don't want they, they don't want someone to think that they're not a good parent. And whether they're whether they are or aren't, or what degree of you know good or you know still to be. Um, I know that when I was working with a major population of teenagers and, and even was uh, based out of school and that so I could be closer to the teenagers and funded by some really big foundations, um, it was the parents were were not advocates. They were like I was stealing their children's, you know, attention or what have you. Instead of them getting involved and and helping and being part of things, uh, you know, all they wanted to do was, you know, talk about it. And you know, and you know, why does she get to talk to my, you know, to my kid, etc. And then I would have students, and the highest compliment on the face of the earth, if you're walk, working with teenagers, is when one of them drags another one in. And sits him down and says, tell her what's going on. She, you can trust her. Tell her what's uh-huh. going on. And that, and th- those words are the, are the hugest compliments in that, literally. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's where I come from. I mean, it, it's, you know, that's where, you know, this group where we all right here tonight, uh, where we come from. And we need more parents who aren't worried that we're trying to take their kids away in an emotional way, but that we're, you know, we're backup. We're, we're part of the team. We're, we're a team as a teacher. We're a team with the other parents. That we're a team with you know the other people in the household, and that and they you know they worry so much that we're you know we're taking over and we're going to influence their kid and we're going to you know tell their kid that they're not a good parent or something and you know that's so far from what we want or what we're trying to do or how we're you know there to to try to help the family. Uh, so and I, I'm sure that you know all, all all of those of us who are in education in some manner and have spent any time, you know, with a school with students, and that run into that, and you know we're we're there, we're trying to help them. We have been bleeding for so long. We bleed. We're bleeding now. One thing I tell my fellow fellow educators and, and friends, colleagues in the profession and consultants, kids have to, kids got to find somebody that they can flow with. Okay? And you can take this to the bank. If they can't flow with you, they will let you go. If it doesn't flow, they'll let you go. A lot of parents are included in that. They can't flow with their parents. They're not going to tell them anything. They're going to tell somebody like the Sandy Roberts. They're going to tell somebody like the Nina Taylors. They're going to tell someone like the Buddy Thorntons. Because those people, they can flow with and they can bleed on them. I want to ask one more question. Oh, wow, we have time? All right, let me ask one more question. This, this conversation, I, I, I cried a little bit tonight. I was serious a little bit tonight. I, I cried a little bit more. But what we need to walk away with, what I'm walking away with, I'll say that, is that don't get it twisted. Bullying is an intentional behavior. That means they intend to hurt you, they intend to harm you, they intend to humiliate you. For whatever reason that they got going on in their background, 
They want to hurt you because they've been hurt. Hurt people, hurt people. And so, what were the takeaways tonight? Because we got to go. Who wants to go first? I think that the, the solution to the school violence is, and, and this is going to sound weird probably to you all, is armed task force made up of staff in the schools. I think that there needs to be a readiness for this kind of thing. Otherwise, just like all the other people who have died in the schools, you're just a sitting duck. I think that that's what needs to happen. And I think, oh, well, some of the kids might get a hold. There's ways to prevent the kids from doing anything. The kids can't get a hold of anything that I don't want them to get a hold of. You know, they can't. We have food, we have goodies and stuff around, and I don't want them touching it, so they can't touch it, and that's all there is to it. But I think that is the solution to, you can say all day and all night, oh, well, somebody should have had him in counseling. He stopped going to school. How would anybody know what's going on with you if they don't see you? And just like she said, just like your other guy said, Nobody wants to be the one to say, oh, yeah, something's wrong with him. We're failing somehow. We need help. Nobody's going to do that. The only way anyone will know anything is if they was on the outside, a third party, looking at it. And you can't do that if the person is not there. So I think armed task force in every school, I think that's what needs to happen to stop this. And if you come in here, this this could possibly happen. I want to. I want to say that evidence shows that there were people, particularly a couple of teenage young ladies, who were being approached by the Uvalde shooter because he was interested in them. He was badgering them that he wanted to date them. He wanted to get together with them. And one of the one of the young ladies said, "I just thought it was being him because he's always been odd." He's always had odd behavior. Odd behavior is not a crime. Odd behavior can never be a crime. But when you take odd behavior and then you pair it with going and buying two AR-15s on your 18th birthday, there should be an automatic red flag. If there was an anonymous reporting system digitally, a Dropbox at every school that the children and the parents, for that matter, could... Uh, report activity that just seems to indicate a red flag there should be someone even if it's an outside third party that is is tasked to do this or possibly one administrator who knows the Mm -hmm. kids like an assistant principal or someone like that who can look in their jackets and go yeah he's been one of the problem children we need to keep an eye on him or whatever or he's been bullied and we've had discussions with the parents if they put the odd behavior together with the buying of the AR-15s, that's an automatic prevention scenario just asking to happen. We can never, emphasis, never stop every bad act by every bad actor. But if we're not smart enough to put together an anonymous reporting system digitally and physical drop boxes in the school that the kids can just drop a note in, walking down the hallway, drop a note in it. Hey, so-and-so was t- talking some really bad trash in the, in the boys' bathroom, and, I, you know, I'm worried that something's going to happen. It's, not, it's worth a peek. It may not be worth a conversation. Yeah. If it's worth a conversation, the conversation needs to happen. Yeah. Until we get beyond the fear of hurting somebody because of their feelings and realize that that's way more important than letting people die, we're going to continue to have this problem. We need to be able to get behavioral health involved earlier and as a normal process. Sometimes these kids don't want help because, you know, they're already way far messed up. 
that for all the reasons that you all have stated and that, but we also need some sort of a system that can get information to someone who's going to respond properly if something is going on and have it, you know, like... It has to be something that has, like, if you want to do a Dropbox, you have to have positive things going in there, and then someone can put something negative in. Otherwise, somebody walking by and putting something in there is going to get taken up for putting something in there because they're going to assume it was something negative and that. So there's, you know, that's a great idea. I love that idea and that there needs to be, there needs to be trusted adults. The, the kids figure out really quickly who the trusted adults are. Um, I, I um, stopped teaching like at the end of the um, previous semester, not the end of the one that, not the one we just finished, but the, the last one. And it was just getting, it was getting difficult. And it was just a matter of, you know, Kids will tell other kids who the trusted adults are. A couple of weeks ago, I got a call. It was 15 minutes before midnight, and it was one of the students. I didn't know who the student was, but they knew someone who knew me, and they called to tell me that they were worried about a friend of theirs that was suicidal, and that, you know, would I talk to them? And that quarter to 12 at night. And that, well, of course I'll talk to them. Um, you know, and I'm assessing, do I need to, you know, what what action needs to be taken? How safe are they? You know, what's going on? Um, and that. It, they wouldn't have been able to do that if a parent was involved in the sense you don't you don't know you don't know we don't know what the parents are doing and how and how they're doing it and i mean i'm a parent i have i have kids they went to school and that um you, you just have to you have to know who the trusted adults are you have to know who the kids will go to and why and if they're going to the wrong kind of person you need the positive trusted adults to get them out to help get them out of the situation that they're in and you know as we talk here you know names and faces and everything just run through my mind different situations different times that situations could have been helped except a parent didn't want someone else you know outside of the family you know talking to their kid um, and then there's others that say you know why did why didn't someone talk to my kid so it, it, it's a tough road this is a wonderful wonderful discussion and that I hope that we can get discussions going in other schools and try to come to that balance of external adult, trusted adult, internal adult, who to go to, that, um, and awareness and not being afraid to say, you know, someone looks like they're really having a hard time. I'm really concerned about them. Can someone talk to them? Facebook.